You are listening to Courageous Leadership, the podcast with me, Diana Osagi, the author of the book, Courageous Leadership. This is the place where inspirational leaders and everyday heroes share their inside stories of leadership. Today's episode features a guest sharing their mistakes, mishaps and triumphs. Let's dive in. So I want to welcome my guest for this evening on this podcast and I'm going to let you say your name and tell us what you do for a living. Okay, I'm Patrick Otley O'Connor. I'm a head teacher, coach, ally and wannabe well-being supermodel. <laughs> a wannabe well-being supermodel. So who do you, model, do who do you take after? Who do you model yourself on? Well, I model myself on being me and actually this thing around authentic leadership and being who I am and saying what I believe. And obviously the well-being supermodel is tongue-in-cheek, but if we do anything, whatever we do within school, I think to be authentic, to be able to lead effectively, and there are lessons I've learned along the way, is, is, is actually model the behaviours I want to see from others. So I want people to be basically look after themselves first before helping others so we make the biggest difference for the children. So I model that. You model that. So you're not talking about modeling yourself like Chris Harmsworth or Dwayne Johnson, that kind of model. We're not talking that, are we? No, I'm just talking no. about doing what makes me happy, what keeps me, if I'm feeling coming near the edge, what brings me back, what I do. Oh. So lots of family in there, lots of activities, exercise, nice food and keeping the balance of that to keep me fit and healthy and, and try and beat the statistics of old men who retire at headship and dying very quickly. Yes, that, so, is a, that is a frightening statistic. I had a chair of governors who shared that with us once. Something like three years after retirement, they tend to, um, old men pass away. And he says so he's going three years early, so he doesn't get that happening. Well, that's it. I mean, the statistic, the statistic I've got is, if a male head retires at 65, mm-hmm. life expectancy of nine months the male head gosh well I, my aim is to be retired from headship i've got five terms left to do so i'll be 57 then and that's the, the start that's of it. my retirement from headship i'll have done a good shift in terms of headship yeah. 18 19 years and then enjoy the life and hopefully who knows what's going to come we may have a pandemic who knows but who knows and do do those things i'm not waiting for retirement though i, I and that's the idea of being the, the model the holidays, the exercise, the work, the, fa- the family, the cooking, the meals, the bare boring everyday things that I try and find love or excitement from, which just help me keep refreshed. Got it. So I asked you to think about a mistake, a mishap and a triumph that you could share with the people who are listening. And the idea is that people understand that we all make mistakes. We all visit planet numpty, as I like to call it now and again, and just think, really did I actually do that did that did that actually happen it's not all glory it's not all fabulous sometimes things just go wrong but we come back from that and that's okay so where would you like to start a mistake I'll start with a a mistake I'll start with a mistake because I do believe we learn from our mistakes and and some days I do a lot of learning in terms of uh, what what I do there so I want to go back really to I'd been a really successful head of year in a a fairly tough inner city school in, in Bradford in charge of 373 children in a year group, 13 form entry, and done a really good job there, I thought. I was then put in charge of two year groups and just given the title, one of these new titles, assistant head. And my job was really a chief firefighter. Looking back now, as I was to get to that, 
I dealt with people, brought their problems, came to me. I'd be shooting my guns off all over the place, sorting those problems out. You give me a problem, I'll sort it. Really not sorting anything sustainably. Now, that at the time, I didn't believe was my mistake. My mistake was I was appointed to my first proper leadership role, I think, where I was in charge of leading people as a deputy head teacher, went in thinking I was John Wayne going and solving all that for younger people that someone like, I don't know, picking it, an Avenger if you want, but <laughs> solves people's problems. And when I went in to go and do that, I, I was, I was, I went in, I think as a hero leader and tried to, this is what we're going to do. I explained to people, this is what we're doing and set off doing it. And then a few days, weeks down the line, realized it was only me and the caretaker and the caretaker's dog doing it. And nobody else had come with me. And, and actually that was the first time I realized that I needed to be able to explain why we were doing what we're doing and how we're doing what we're doing and before we get to the what. I suppose yes. some of next stories around, around those things and, and actually having a values-led leadership to be able to get real buy-in and commitment from people. So a real mistake, schoolboy mistake from me at the yeah. head level, which really struck hard to me. That was reinforced again then when I got my... I, I, did, I did do far better in that role there. And then I went on to my first substantive headship. In fact, my first acting headship, sorry, within the school where I was the deputy. And I, I went along to go and see a guy called Dr. Jeff Mawson, OBE. He was just Mr. Mawson to me. He was my old primary school teacher that really mm-hmm. ignited my love of learning and everything else that went with it. And it was the year he was retiring. And I went to go and see him in, in the school that he was in down in Sheffield to go and say, basically go along and say, look at me, aren't I great? I'm now a head teacher and... And I wanted him to stroke me and <laughs> wow, well done. And, and he, he, in his Sheffield accent said, listen, lad, it's not about you. A great leader is not a hero. They're a hero maker. And I think as a learner. And that brought point, you down a bit, didn't it? Massively so. And it was just, I'd already gone through that in terms of reinventing myself as a deputy and, and sort of becoming better at that. But at the point of headship, it was a perfect slap in the face just before I started the, the headship role to be able to make, and actually has to become a mantra of mine now. And actually the, around that, my, my exploration in, in the last 20 years of love of coaching and of, of, of lifting others and, and supporting and, and being an ally and everything else that goes with that, moving from being a hero or a white savior or whatever you want to call it, my approach yeah. is it can be taken to actually really going with people and taking people and being there to amplify and support others and lift others in terms of how that moves forward. So big mistakes early on, not fatal. Yeah. You know, and, and, and some good people along the way that have helped me realise that. One of the people that helped me realise when I became a new deputy was one young leader in the school at the time who went on to become Mrs. Otley O'Connor. Who, oh, wow. Who, who really challenged me and called me out for some of those behaviours where I was at. So, you know, yeah. some good time with people have allowed me to do that. Fantastic. Talk to us about a mishap or a triumph. Right, a mishap next. I'm going to finish with a triumph, of course I am, but I think <laughs> the, the mishap for me is really going into the first substantive headship. I had a couple of acting headships, one in my own school and then in a special school that had gone into a really serious safeguarding section 22 closure by the local authority and I went in there and we spectacularly avoided special measures it was really that was a good bit of learning for me again in those actings my first substantive headship feeling confident went into a school where I know there's some challenges around uh, standards 
and, and really I asked the questions there, but I didn't ask enough questions, enough searching questions at interview. I didn't find out enough and do enough due diligence beforehand mm -hmm. of my homework in there. So I took on a school that where standards weren't where they needed to be. And a few weeks before I took over in the January, the school was given serious weaknesses. So actually for me, that was okay. It was a school I was going in. I'd got a good baseline before I started. I felt I knew what I was doing. And then arrived on day one and didn't really know what I was doing with the finances, really, as a lot of young heads don't, I suppose, or new heads. And asked a question of the, I didn't know what I was asking for. So I said to the school business manager, could, could I see the books? <laughs> call them books. I, mean, I didn't know what to call them. Can we call them the books? And, and she said, she showed me a, like a top sheet and a bottom sheet of a spreadsheet. And I said, well, what about the things in the middle? She's always open. You could help with that because, and, and the previous head had kept a real tight hold of the finance. Right. I'd been told, and just been told and taken it, that we had a £400,000 surplus and I could use that for some ICT development. The building was crumbling. ICT was non-existent. I'm talking a, sort of 17 years ago, a long time ago now, but yeah. it was non-existent really in terms of, of where, where that worked. And that £400,000 surplus, I believe I had by the end of week one, was looking at a £400,000 projected deficit. So by the end of week one? Massive swing by the time we'd looked to where we were. By day 30, I'd called the, obviously a flag before that local authority, and finished up talking to the police about the situation we were in. Yes. It just yes. wasn't. And by day 30, I had... A, an in-year deficit of 720,000, a three-year deficit, projected deficit of 1.96 million pounds. I had, to, I had to go through a big redundancy process. There's 25 teachers, 11 support staff. That was a real journey for the school. It was a wonderful experience and learning and taking a community with me and all those lessons I'd learned before to help bring it back in there. Unfortunately, those things the staff knew I'd walked into once we'd opened our eyes to that and came mm. with us. I mean, some big shocks and some really courageous leadership. I can imagine, yes. Going a phrase to go alongside that and, and, and a good three and a half, nearly four years in, in that school, moving the, the school forwards and going through that process and bringing people together. But really through me not going into a situation as prepared as I should have been. I now, I now know what I'm asking and do what I'm doing. And in fact, the work I do with, I do a fair bit of training around leadership development. For new yes. head teachers, I've done it through the Future Leaders Programme and through a variety of other ambitions programmes, but other programmes as well for, for new head teachers, MPQH, et cetera, and, and other leadership development programmes. I, I would talk about that due diligence yourself in terms of when you go into a new area, making sure you do the, as, as thorough preparation as you can on the information available, and then an interview process, how you can dig deeper to make yes. sure those things, if you don't want them, it would may phase you on a little bit, not to phase me, but to make sure I go in with my eyes open and if, if there are unanswered questions now, rather than dismissing that unanswered question just leads to as soon as I've started the process that I'll put in together in, at the start of my first 100 days, once a point. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so again, a, a mistake, another schoolboy error in terms of not asking those questions. But again, I suppose at that stage, you don't know what you don't know. Yes, uh, and, and it is that. And you, you've got to be courageous enough to ask those questions at interviews. Sometimes we want the job. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to upset governors or the interview panel. We want to come across so positive that we don't want to ask, you know, not even is there a deficit, how much is the deficit this yeah. school has, yeah. you know, and force yeah. a question sort of yeah. thing. Not just on that. I mean, I, I was I was coaching a head teacher. Oh, sorry, a coaching. She's a current head teacher, but coaching her for a, a second headship post, one that she was really looking for and interested, excited about. But there were a few concerns. Yes, and actually. It, the thing is, well, if I ask the questions, it might put them off. 
But if it puts them off, then the school's not right for you. It's not right for you. Absolutely. No. So yeah. Ask the question if you and, and actually she didn't get the role, but she's so glad she asked those questions because yeah. you know, she's waiting feedback. But she asked the question, she still wanted the job, but she was asking those questions which really put a marker down for where she was coming from and, and, and re-established her moral purpose, etc. as she went along. So Again, any any as I'm sure, I'm sure this is what this podcast is aimed at. It's, it's helped me <laughs> to just reflect a little bit more. But we, we, we learn from those mistakes. We reflect we on them. And the old adage of "what doesn't kill you makes you stronger." I, I've had some great moments in my. I mean, I mean, great <laughs> in my career. Those headship moments that you know when you've been a head teacher, you know yeah. those moments you, yeah. you deal with. So. You yeah. know, that, that, that's how it goes. So Brilliant. Would you like Go to hear on. about a triumph? Bring us home on a triumph. Okay. The triumph again is something I've realised through my own experience as a head teacher. And age and experience, well, experience, I suppose, on age does bring a perceived wisdom. I wouldn't say wisdom. I think it's just the experience and the bottle to say something, maybe more, mm. or to, to stand more by your values. So I'm a much more value-driven head now I know what mine are. Than when I yes. first started, I was saying what I thought they were. And, and actually, it's okay to, to feel like that as you're growing up in, in terms yes. of your role. So I feel, I mean, I'm probably doing the best leadership of my life as I come towards the final five terms, as I say, of my leadership mm -hmm. headship career. You'd have to ask my staff to see whether that's true or not, but that's just my <laughs> yes. own perception of where I am. But I suppose my triumph is now that, that I have I've found a way of working in the schools I've been in. In the last seven, eight years, I've, I've worked in schools in particular that have gone themselves into a they're either in special measures and the idea is to help bring them out of special measures and appoint a new head teacher or there's been leadership instability or mm. and actually I've gone in for maybe a, a one year which was turned into a two-year placement as an executive head of two or three schools or like the current position we we lost a head or a head teacher retired during the pandemic and they weren't able to recruit so I've become mm. head teacher for a year to stabilize things to lift our fortunes maybe and pull people together around the, the, the values-based vision and clarify that vision and actually, again, recruit a new head as we go forward, et cetera. So I suppose I'm going to use my current role. I'm on current on day 61 in terms of being in the building with the staff. So we've mm -hmm. had 61 days together as me being the head teacher for this year. And I can hand on heart say that we've built, already built the foundations of a culture of, that prioritizes mental health, health and well-being of all colleagues and staff and students. And it's, it's really from the starting point right from day one we've done that and it's allowed us to do a whole variety of other things it's like a magic key that unlocks everything else around what we do and by well-being i don't just mean soft fluffy stuff as in i do a wheel of star of the week type thing and a box of yeah. shop, a bottle of wine it's not just those things but again those difficult conversations and decisions we need to make well-being is not a soft option it's no. knowing that we need no. to hold each other to account so i trained train the staff in how we have difficult conversations with each other because the earlier you can have those difficult conversations, they stop being difficult and become professional. The structures, mm -hmm. performance management, just before day one, the day before day one, in fact, day minus one, a governing body meeting just before I started to change our performance management policy in a rapid consultation with the unions as well to move away from a focused data target where all our focus was on to actually mm -hmm. talent, talent development and growth and setting targets for staff to be able to do to, to develop their teaching and learning, to develop themselves as leaders, develop whatever else underpinned by that data. So it became very much more a focus on talent leadership and talent development and, and yeah. real performance development. And that itself has flipped 
the way we operate and what that's done for staff, the support staff, we, we've not had a performance management for support staff for over 15 years in the school. And wow. we have a, I'm on to my second staff perception questionnaire during this period of, of 61 days already. And the feedback, particularly from, from all staff, but particularly from the support staff is how valued they feel now. Mm. I mean, we're setting targets to hold people to account for and they're saying how valued they feel. Because it basically somebody sat down with them, had a conversation about them and their development and growth to be able to do the role better or what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> the teaching staff and leadership. It's a question I ask. I ask that question of everybody. But what do you want to be when you grow up? I do. I do. I ask that of the deputies. I ask that of the cleaner. I ask that of whoever you are. Is this my final? Because actually, sometimes people's aspirations are being squashed. They've lost the way along the way. They've become maybe disaffected, cynical, come whatever else, or my turn's not here, my face doesn't fit, or, and actually to find those things out, I'm finding little pockets of excitement and rebirth and growth for people, and people, people being born, and in fact, the first time I used this, I've used this as an approach for quite a while, but back in 2005, the, the school I took over that had been in special measures for just over two years, it was deep in, and it had not come out, and it did, it did its fifth term, the Ofsted inspection to see whether it should come out, and was designated to stay in a notice from Mm. Yeah, it was going to be taken away from the trust and so on. I went in at that point and, and within six months we came out of special measures, not with any set of results under our belt. There were no more results. It was just the staff got it and lifted. And it's the line I'm most proud of from Ofsted that says that teachers, so leaders say they've been freed from bureaucratic tasks and teachers have been liberated to teach. Wow. What a, I mean, to get that through moderation for Ofsted, you know that's difficult. not easy and that, that's that sat for four months on michael wilshaw's desk or passing to and fro and in the end the two hmis because there was such a difference between the two inspections in a close period of time had to go through it again and make the case why it was so different as a school and i say it was around staff it just shows that culture just eats strategy for breakfast absolutely it? and and staff yeah. saw the issues own the issues did something about themselves to solve it and bought into that value values-based vision I mean, and that, that was it was a it, that was a, a church school, a church yeah. academy. I, I'm I'm not a Christian. I'm not. I don't have a faith. But we had a science inspection during that time, and and, and that went from inadequate to, to to good in terms of the science inspection, in terms of the the journey that we'd taken with because we yeah. bought into the values based vision. Around fantastic. You. Look at yeah. that. I knew interviewing you would just bring out some nuggets that leaders could just hook hook their leadership journey onto it's been brilliant talking to you thank you so much you're welcome it's been nice Donna. it's been great so if people want to engage with you engage with any concert you might write or get in touch where can they find you how can they do that i'm not a great blogger so i don't have a website <laughs> you're not a great blogger okay. i'm not I'll, I'll talk to anybody they are <laughs> No. So, but you're active on Twitter. I am active on Twitter and at Otley O'Connor, that's O-T-T-L-E-Y O'Connor, which is O-C-O-N-N-O-R. Contact, join in the debate, join in the discussions. By all means, drop me a DM. I have open DM and I'm, I'm, I'll always happily be an ear to signpost people to somewhere else or even be able to provide some coaching myself if people need that. Fantastic. Once again, it's just an honour to listen to you. I, we have this saying, in, in um, I'm from Nigeria originally, that you must always sit at the feet of elders. That's where you learn the most. And sitting at your feet has, has helped me when I've come on my leadership journey to executive headship and so on. But I, I know this particular episode is going to help a lot of people in the leadership journey. So thanks once again. Thank you. I hope my, I hope my old age helps lots of people. <laughs>
You have been listening to Courageous Leadership, the podcast with me, your host, Diana Rezaghi, the author of the book, Courageous Leadership, available on Amazon now. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or via the website, courageousleadership.co.uk. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Until then, goodbye.